Layovers, your weekly dose of aviation innovation. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome aboard from the flight deck. This is Paul Pavelevichu. Hello, everybody. This is Alex Hunter. We'll be your pilots for this show about the news, the startups, and the technologies defining the modern air travel experience. Our flight time today, an hour and 20 minutes, and we expect an on-time arrival. Coming up on this flight, the 747 lives for another day. The FAA tests a pilotless plane. The dream of the flying car is near. United gives up on the A380, but also on some passengers. Clint Eastwood and Tom Hanks to make a movie about a miracle on the Hudson. Lots of European cities want Emirates. EasyJet goes drone for maintenance, and a Ryanair passenger legally changes his name to avoid a ticket fee. As we reach our cruising altitude, I'm going to turn off the fast signal sign for you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax, and let's turn on those noise-canceling headphones. Flight 17 to Memphis. Hi, Alex. Hello. Back in the saddle after what seems like months. Yeah, month, yeah. because actually, so some of the people, if you've listened to the last two episodes, uh, first of all, we want to apologize for the sound. We tried something different uh, because we were in the same room. Didn't quite work out. I mean, Alex, you cannot imagine the number of tweaks I had to make the sound to make it even just sound like the way it, I, the end product sounds. Because it it's was funny because really- we figured it would be easier and better to do it in the same room, but actually, technically, it ended up being a lot harder. Exactly. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so apologies for the sound. You can hear that this week is back to normal, and we promise that. We want to do again stuff where Alex and I are in front of each other, but we'll do it uh, in a more smarter way next time. Um, but so, yeah, and it's been like almost three weeks we haven't recorded now. So, wow, it's been, I haven't seen you forever, Alex. <laughs> I know, we've just been both kind of all over the place, all literally all over the world. So it's nice to be back uh Back doing this in our normal environment. I, actually, our, our friend John Bradford uh, told me last week when I saw him in Poland in Warsaw, says, okay, the number of episodes is inversely correlated to your number of travels. It's true that... Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Uh, it's so true. It's kind of ironic that our our aviation and travel podcast gets interrupted by aviation and travel. <laughs> <laughs> but... Throughout those those travels, we both had a lot of our friends and people we actually also don't know that came up to us and say, oh, I listen to your show, listen to your show, guys. So it's really, thank you, everyone, for keep listening to us. It's really... Yeah, it's it's been really satisfying. I had, I had dinner a couple of days ago with some really good friends of mine from my college days, and they said, oh... Their husband and wife. We we listened to three of your episodes back to back on a recent road trip, and I was like, three episodes. Even I wouldn't do that. And they're like, oh yeah, we learned so much, and I, you know, my my friends like I use TripIt now thanks to you guys. It's it's a religion. So big shout out to to Jack and Fran for those really really kind words. That was really nice to hear. <laughs> and John Biggs, our famous John Biggs, who were bashing us about the sound in the beginning, was not was actually. <laughs> Telling that the sound is now okay. I mean, he, pr- he clearly hasn't listened to the past two episodes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so thank you, everyone. It's really great. And Gen was interacting with you on Twitter. So you want to? Yes, you wanna... thank you so much to Gen Kenai for pointing out a massive error that I made in our last or, or episode last. before that. Um, when we were talking about the A and A rebranding, I said erroneously that the word Nippon is an old or ancient word. For for Japan, when in fact in in Japanese it's the it's the modern usage for the word Japan. So, 
apologies for that. And thank you to, again for, for correcting me on that one. Yeah, and thank you because you also, again, you keep sending me news uh, to the via Facebook or the Facebook page of Layovers. There's always a notification for a new message and invariably it's again pointing me out to something new. So thank you so much for filling us yeah, with we, news. Yeah, we love stuff like that. So please keep it up. So uh, first, uh, the news, the industry news of the week, the, the ones that have, I mean, of the week, of the weeks almost now because we haven't recorded for a little bit, but that have caught our, our eyes. Uh, first, uh, the A380, uh, the A380 in the US, Alex. Yeah, this is a strange one. There was some rumor at the end of May, beginning of June, that United Airlines might be interested in acquiring A380s. And uh, some of these were going to come maybe from... Malaysian or some of the other ones from um, Skymark, uh, the airline in Japan that was the on-again, off-again suitor for the A380. And, you know, for a lot of us kind of armchair airline CEOs, it made a lot of sense for them. But they have now categorically come out and said via their CFO that the A380 doesn't suit them. They'd rather do multiple flights a day between city pairs and in a wide-body airplane than one flight a day in something like the A380. So they've they've been playing heavily on the 787 and the A350, interestingly. And they've said that economically for them, the A380 just cannot stuck up against the Dreamliner. But United have been making some very weird decisions in the last few weeks, and I think we're mm-hmm. going to touch on one of them a little bit later. But yeah, so that I think they've, they've crushed that rumor pretty much uh, as quickly as it was as it was born. Uh, it's, it, it will be interesting because at some point, a lot of the A380s from Emirates will be on the market, you know, so, uh, I mean, as a second-hand plane, if you want. So it would be very interesting to see what happens there because, uh, if I mean, I understand here UA's position that the A380 doesn't work for them. Uh, they don't have the same type of uh, network like, you know, of course, Singapore, uh, Dubai, and uh, maybe China at some point. But they, so the, which is why they're actually betting on planes like the Dreamliner. But still, in terms of economics, a super jumbo is per seat cost is actually not that bad. Yeah, it's, I mean, and they, you know, they've got a, as, as our friend Dan mentioned in the AT, ATC episode, they have a substantial presence in San Francisco where they do a lot of trans Pacific traffic to Australia, Southeast Asia, and beyond. It seems like a natural fit for those type of routes. But you know, I don't think this is dead yet, but for the for the immediate future, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll keep, we'll keep tracking this because it's always a big wonder who will be the next airline buying an A380, and nobody mm. is buying them anymore. I mean, we have the back orders from Emirates, but that's that's about it, right? That's so, about it. Yeah. Talking about talking about large networks, uh, this is a piece of news that I first wanted to talk a bit later, but I think it fit quite quite well here. So the MIT. Uh, has done a research about the airline industry, which is rare enough. I mean, maybe they do more than I I'm, uh, I'm a know of, but they've done um, a research between of the data of uh, of airline traffic between 1990 and 2012, and they've they've really. Yeah, I'll put the the article in the show notes, of course. But they really see how the center of gravity for the airline industry has shifted. And basically, they say that places like Dubai, obviously, but also Beijing were almost non-existent in terms yeah, of, that, of, of our traffic in 1990. That my eye too. And that it kind of 
everything is now shifting there. And thanks to, and that's the major, it's not a finding because it seems kind of pretty, uh, pretty normal, but that's thanks to a lot of connecting flights first and of the big alliances because they were also born in the early 90s. This allowed for more fluidity of traffic and more choices. Interesting though, it's they, they say that, you know, it's true that, and we mentioned that a few times, especially I did because I, I fly a lot of Emirates, that for passengers, it makes usually more sense to have a direct route, it's less hassle, you don't have to change planes. But what they're seeing in their data is that more and more people are opting for routes that have uh, a connecting flight. And that's interesting. And that is, for them, one of the biggest advancements in air traffic is that we are seeing more and more traffic and more and more routes because of these interconnecting flights and hubs. And we've, we've talked about this in the past, that there's definitely an appetite, uh, maybe not an appetite is not the right word, but people are willing to endure that, that layover, that connection, to, to fly on better airlines. So, you know, you're a great example with, with Emirates and, and Lufthansa, you know, be it because of status or whatever, people are, are, or scheduling or fleet or whatever, people are more than happy now to endure a brief layover in a layover-friendly airport like Dubai or Frankfurt. Uh, correct. And uh, they say that uh, the links between regions, so global connectivity, has increased 140%. Wow. In that period. So, yeah, I mean, it's something we're seeing, but I mean, it's a, it's a great analysis. I'll put the article up because it's and beautifully uh, done. Too. Yeah, pretty filled out. As a, I'm a, I'm a subscriber to a lot of the MIT stuff, not only online, but also the magazine. And it's really a good thing. So they don't write a lot about the airline industry, but I'll try to find if they do other stuff like this because it seems interesting because they have something called the MIT's Lab for Aviation and the Environment. So probably they do more than this article. Uh, back to United then, uh, they basically are leaving JFK, uh, abandoning JFK completely in the US. Uh, so bizarre. Yeah, they're moving all the operations to Newark. Uh, it kind of makes sense when you think about it, no? I think it caught just about everybody by surprise. I mean, JFK, you know, love it or hate it, is not, it's kind of a nightmare operationally. I mean, the yeah. amount of time you taxi and the fuel burn associated with that, but to just pick up a massive operation and just shut it down as opposed to gradual, you know, over, over years, slightly move, you know, everything over to across the Hudson to Newark. But they just said, yeah, we're leaving, we're leaving JFK. We're moving everything. And I, you know, with the, with the continental infrastructure that they already had in place at Newark, I kind of get it, but Newark is such a crappy airport that <laughs> I don't know. They must be investing so much money in, in making this happen and I think they're going to lose a lot of business traffic as a result of this. I, I don't know. I, I don't fly usually out of Newark. It's been quite a while. I haven't done so, actually. So I cannot really judge. I, I, I heard that they're putting some investment in the terminal there to make it a better experience. I don't know how it will stack up. But they already have like a lot of, they already had a lot of flights there. So I think they just want to, they're keeping some flights to LaGuardia, which, come on, is even worse than, than Newark. Is, yeah. <laughs> they have like 30 plus flights. That's not that many, right? But uh, so, well, I, I, it, it'll probably make room for other, maybe also because it's a cheaper uh, airport to run from. I don't know. Yeah, and, the, and they're doing a kind of re-gauging of a lot of their fleet assignments as well. So they're putting a bunch of their 757s that, that do the transatlantic service on domestic so they can introduce this thing they call PS, which is um, slightly less terrible than their normal service. And then moving those seven sixty sevens onto the transatlantic flight, so they're going through a lot of major overhauls in that airline. And I think they've had major hiccup after major hiccup with people getting abandoned and 
remote Canadian yeah, airfield. Yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah. We could talk about that. To sleep in so, army so, bases. Yeah, that so, was that was a Chicago Chicago to uh, London flight, and something there like was that, yeah. there was a rudder issue or something, and so the flight had to uh, divert and uh, land at an air base in Canada, which you know happens. And if there's a security reason, there is a security reason. But apparently, what was it was the conditions with uh, the passengers that were put in in barracks. I mean, you barracks. never know because <laughs> you, we I've heard a lot of contracting stories. I'm sure it wasn't. Horrible, but the the major point was that there was absolutely no communication whatsoever from United for like twenty hours, and this is the problem. It was like, oh, okay, we're here and we don't know what's going on now. We're like in the middle of nowhere in an air base in Canada. <laughs> we're supposed to fly to London. Okay, we get it that the flight that the sort of the aircraft had an issue, but what do we do now? If this is where the problem is. I mean, United is known not to be the best airline when it comes to customer service. No, but that's a very bad story. 20 hours they were they were at this um, army base in Goose Bay. 20 hours with no communication, in cold weather. I would have been so angry. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And apparently they even like, they put some passengers in the wrong place, another right barracks. I mean, it's like, I mean, I understand that these kind of operations are not easy to deal with when you have like to uh, to unload uh, like a massive aircraft in the middle of nowhere. But I mean, still, at least having some kind—I mean, this is some, you and me say that all the time. Having some type of communication, even if the conditions are bad, would uh, alleviate a lot of stuff. And people were obviously nowadays tweeting it out and putting pictures of Facebook and say, "Look, this is the." So all, all major outlets were picking the story. United was oh, being yeah. silent. It's a bit. It's a bit sad, but. Coming back to the, to the PS, what do you think about that? That PS branding for me is really kind of bizarre. No, it doesn't even, if you read it just in their pre press release, it doesn't even stand out. It's like because they are both are not in cap capitalized. So it just looks like a very strange piece of branding. Do you? Yeah, it's very strange. And I think a lot of US airlines are starting to move away from the traditional um, economy, premium economy, in some cases, business and first, because. They're they're not then these new products they're introducing, especially for intercontinental, are not. Pardon me, transcontinental are not falling elegantly into one of those buckets. I mean, Delta we've seen have got nine different seat classes or something crazy <laughs> yeah. like that. JetBlue have done it with Mint um, because they don't have it's not a business class or first class product. It's it's something different. Um, uh, but yeah, PS is a very strange. Thing to use they've used it for quite a long time but it's now they're they're really pushing it hard it just sounds like an afterthought because exactly. it literally is <laughs> exactly that's why i'm thinking that's the first thing i'm thinking this is not a premium product these look like oh this is a footnote uh, anyway uh but talking about good news in the u.s and good news for you alex because i know that this airline has your heart still it's that uh it's virgin america uh yeah the opposite yeah. They just smashed it at the the Skytrax Awards, which happened uh, a couple of weeks ago. They've got Best Airline in North America for the very first time, which is a big deal. Yeah, especially best for a low cost, actually. Yeah. For a low cost, yeah, it's huge. Best low cost airline in the U.S. for the fifth year in a row. Wow. And Best Staff Service uh, in North America for the fourth year in a row. So they are they are smashing it. And actually, here's a little footnote. When we were first coming up with um, kind of internal branding, we played with the idea of not calling it first class and main cabin as they are now, but uptown and downtown. Oh, wow. Which is kind of fun. But uh, I think initially they wanted to make it very clear what each product was. So they did go with first class and main cabin. 
But yeah, I'm very proud of Virgin America. They've they've continued to do great work, and people keep saying, "Oh, the other airlines are catching up," but clearly not. Well, apparently uh, not. Yeah, you have to combine physical product with great service, and having flown four legs on domestic airlines in the U.S. in the last month, which I'll talk about a bit later, you know that's a potent combination that if you get right can work really really well, and if you don't get it right, that combination of physical and soft product then. You're doomed. Yeah, you're doomed. Yeah. Uh, but we're still talking about Virgin, though, and I want to have your thoughts about it. Uh, so we know that the uh, the flight attendants have already uh, unionized, uh, mm. I think, almost a year ago. And now the pilots just decided also to get unionized, which is, uh, let's be honest, it's it's a traditional, it's a kind of unusual uh, way of, uh, I mean, the airline is growing. At some point, that happens. So do you have any thoughts about that? It was an inevitability, sadly. And I... I'm amazed that they lasted this long without unionizing. And I think, I don't think it was a reflection of unhappiness. And I'm speaking purely on speculation here within the, uh, the flight crew. I just think they got to a size where it, it made sense. What's, what sucks is that when you have 600 pilots and your costs go up when you unionize. So that will probably get passed on to the consumer, which is a real shame. But, well, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, now, now so usually the, what happens is when the, when they unionize, now their compensation is actually locked uh, and they get into a uh, negotiation with the airline about a general contract. So if, at, at least at the beginning, the price will not increase because probably, the again, compensation is uh, stays as long as the negotiations are going on. And negotiations, which I'm not sure even have started, could up, take up to three years. Yeah. And, yeah. We'll see. And I, th- I think... Um... I just don't want it to distract from critical path, you know, so that they they carry on doing what they're doing. They're starting service to Hawaii, which is gutsy. So it'll be interesting to see if this disrupts it anyway. But, you know, I'm not mad or upset. I think it was an inevitability and hopefully it makes the airline ultimately run more efficiently. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, still talking about the US remaining in the US uh, so there is American Airlines which is one of the big uh, airlines of course legacy in the US it's the one so we've we've back to our saga about the Middle Eastern Airlines it's the actual the one that has a very interesting position because they are fighting in the recent fights against the allegations of subsidies by the um, Gulf Airlines they are part of course of that movement against Gulf Airlines but at the same time there are they have co-chairing agreements with Etihad, and they are part of uh, One World, which uh, has I think Qatar inside, right? So, right. so they are the most kind of you know kind of uh, on the fence about this whole thing. And there was this article you shared with me that I found pretty interesting, which says, should they just not like leave you know leave behind the other American airlines and go full on with uh, with Gulf Airlines? Yeah, it, it was a really interesting article and <clears throat> made a lot of sense. I mean, I hadn't thought about it in in the way that you just kind of laid out that they have a vested interest in the success of the of specific Middle Eastern airlines and by virtue of, of that fact, all Middle Eastern airlines with their connections to One World. So this article is suggesting that they've been keeping their mouths shut relatively for that reason. And they may even break rank and just say, you know what, this is getting out of hand and this is silly. Let's... I don't think we we do not officially support this. Yeah, um, yeah, apparently, and they they're really using a lot of the code sharing for the Gulf with with Etihad. So there's there is probably I mean maybe now they're just edging their bets, right? 
but I believe that you that this article might be right. One 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 key uh, statistics in the article that caught my eye is that they, they said that the U.S. seats offered by the three uh, Gulf airlines is expected to reach almost 4.5 million by 2016, which is more than twice the thir- 2013 levels. I mean, we've been yeah. talking about this impressive, right? It, it, it is. It's it's, and I think you know there's a there's an article or a statistic further in the article that's saying that. According to Qatar, which you know you have to take that with a grain of salt, that they've provided revenue benefit. I'd love to understand the definition of that, of sixty million bucks to its U.S. partners. That's not a small amount of money. No, it's not. And so you can see this angst that American Airlines is kind of displaying, and they've even come out publicly and say they'd love to work with the American with the with the Gulf Airlines more if the terms are right, which is basically saying. Yeah, we see you as a viable business partner. Let's 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 figure this out so we all save face and, and move on. Yeah, we we've both been talking about this in all our past episodes. Uh, what about you know uh, being part of an alliance with the Gulf? I mean, probably the Emirates is too big now to be part of an alliance, and they are having a, maybe a better better cards if they're not in alliance. But for both Qatar and Etihad, it might actually make sense. But to that, there was a Paris Air Show. Uh, in Le Bourget, which we wanted to attend, but I couldn't make it. Uh, and you couldn't make it either. You didn't go, right? No, I wasn't able to go. Uh, so, I mean, next year probably, because it's one of these uh, fantastic airshows where you see a lot of the, the jetliners on, on display. But during that one, talking about One World, uh, the, uh, the, the fa- I, I always forget if he's the CEO of the chairman of, of Qatar, uh, Al Baker, said, we are only committed to one world provided the spirit of when we join the alliance is maintained. If we are joined with an airline that acts against our interests and blocks our access to cities like New York, then we have no purpose to be in an alliance. So look, these, uh, I mean, he's known to be always very outspoken, but, you know, they know that at the same time, look, I mean, we're part of one world, but that also means that we have to have access to the routes that are part of one world. If you're blocking us access to the US, we might actually leave. I don't know if he's just saying that to say that in order to put pressure, but <laughs> yeah, he he does not mince his words, and I it, he fires shots across the bow whenever he gets an opportunity. And I love this. They they ordered, um, I think, fourteen triple sevens at Paris, which is kind of you know the the signing ceremony place to be. He said during the press conference afterwards, he said. As you know, no press conference with Qatar Airways is without controversy. So I would like to make a statement. I hope that the gentleman at Delta knows that we are creating even more jobs in the U.S. by buying these planes. It's like that was a direct call out to Richard Anderson, the CEO of Delta. <laughs> it's, like, it's so funny. I mean, geez, Louise. but it's 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 partially. I mean, again, some some stuff we've debated you and me is that it's true that that part of of the whole deal is actually also important. I mean, they are buying a lot of Boeing planes and that creates a lot of jobs. I mean, now yeah. you can hate them or like them. I mean, they, they do. And uh, this is why we've both said that, you know, Boeing, but also the airports in the US are pretty actually siding with the Gulf Airlines because they want to see more traffic. So um, anyway, <laughs> but he's, I, I, he has a lot of entertainment value, Al Baker. Because oh, yeah, <laughs> he's, he's fantastic. I think he's... Uh... A, a fantastic character in this whole charade. <laughs> <laughs> but talking about that, you sent me another article that was fascinating. Uh, back to still in the, in, in the in the Middle East, but about uh, Emirates this time. It was Tim Clark, who was basically said that, well, look, we we could actually fly from so many other places from Europe to the U.S. Yeah, they 
I think we mentioned this a couple of episodes ago that they were willing to explore it and they looked at Copenhagen and a few other places and some airports had, had actively asked them to come through. But now they're saying that 10 European cities have asked Emirates to fly transatlantic, not Dubai to their city, which they would do, but specifically, we want you to fly from our city in Europe to America. And that's that's pretty amazing because if it works out, which I actually think it will, it could open up a huge new market for for Emirates. And even though they've said that those types of routes, those Fifth Freedom routes, were never part of their initial business model. They must be now. Now it has to be. It's no, a, it's, it's a no-brainer. Which is why I was saying earlier that they shouldn't probably be part of an alliance anymore. I, a few years ago, you would have asked me, I said, yeah, come on, please be part of an alliance because for me, it doesn't make any sense when I fly to the US or even within Europe or I don't know, to Africa. I don't want to go to Dubai and continue. I mean, Asia, obviously, for us, makes sense to use Emirates. But now with this, I mean, like uh, I mentioned two or three episodes ago that I've done the uh, Milan to New York route, which is the mm. Fifth Freedom route. And that was a great experience. You know what? When we were mentioning these rumors that there might be a London to some East Coast city, I mean, I welcome it. I mean, honestly, this is something. And you know what? Again, this is something a lot of other airlines have been doing. I mean, the American airlines, like you mentioned earlier by United, I've been doing, I've been using the Fifth Freedom uh, type of routes in, in, in Southeast Asia. They basically yep. go to, to Tokyo, to Narita usually, and then they continue to another city. That's a Fifth Freedom route. So I think that Emirates should just pursue doing that. And having one at in court in Italy because you know that that when they opened that route it was first stricken down by a court order and then they won being in the EU probably the fact that they won in one court in the in in, in one member state of the EU will actually lead that the, you know that this will be possible in other cities I mean we'll see what happens yeah. with the airports because we know that Amsterdam is trying to block them for instance but it's interesting it is interesting, and and at uh, the IATA, IATA conference, which was last month in in Miami, Emirates came out and said that they could they could feasibly see a hundred new destinations from the new airport, the new Dubai airport oh, wow. uh, at yeah, Dubai yeah. World Center, and they've said uh, Tim Clark, the CEO, said that there are. are first, second, and third level towns and provinces all over the world that are not served by Emirates and not meaningly, meaningfully served by other mainline carriers. And they have a hundred of those on their radar. Wow. Which is staggering, absolutely yeah. staggering. So I think that really reinforces the, the comments earlier about serving the U.S. They just opened up Orlando. But you think of all the cities in China. Yeah, exactly. Uh, India. Yeah. South America. Yeah. South America. I, Emirates is just going to be a huge... I, can, huge I, I cannot sadly cheer it here because it's public, but I was uh, having a privileged discussion about uh, Emirates' um, strategy into opening new routes. And I, I've shared some of it with you offline, and I sadly cannot say it in public, but they are very smart at the way they approach cities, airports, and all the stakeholders when they want to approach a new city. It's not just... If they are really, of course, they have some firepower, but also also between the cities being willing to have an extra partner uh, like Emirates. But at the same time, they offer a lot of other, you know, stuff around. They make it like as a package. It's not only like, hey, we have here's here's a plane that will come to your city every day. No, they actually really go into a whole strategy about the destination strategy, and that's extremely smart. I mean, maybe one day. I'll have the possibility to share more about this, these stories. I've been privileged to listen, but it's they really are smart. They really are smart. Yeah, they and really are. They embed themselves in communities. Correct. 
Absolutely. And you said uh, the article that you just mentioned about this, uh, the new airport, you remember we said that uh, Tim Clark was saying that he could reach up to 240 million passengers a year, Amazing. which is crazy. Just staggering. He said just staggering. there's nothing stopping us to doubling the size of the airline to 600 aircrafts once we open that airport. Which tells me, by the way, that actually for a long time, this airport was a kind of a second thought, and now it's becoming part of the strategy. Absolutely. Clearly. This is what they are announcing here, basically. Anyway, uh, moving com- coming back to Europe, uh, very short about a story we've been talking about, TAP, the legacy carrier, national carrier of um, Portugal, Assault, I mean, not entirely, I think 60%. Um, and it's a joint venture between JetBlue and Azul, which is a Brazilian airline. JetBlue. So they really try to do stuff uh, outside, right? Well, it's interesting because it's a joint venture between the founder yeah, the of founder. JetBlue. Sorry, this is what I meant. Sorry, yes. And, and the founder of Azul. So really interesting guy, David Nealman, I have massive amounts of admiration for. He was born in Brazil to American parents and left when he was four, but retains his Brazilian citizenship. So he was once he was kind of semi-unceremoniously removed from JetBlue, which I still maintain was a massive mistake, he went down uh, back to Brazil and started basically the JetBlue of Brazil. Brazil. Azul in Portuguese means blue. Uh, and now he has partnered with this uh, Portuguese bus company, weirdly, to buy out the Portuguese government's 61% stake in in TAP. So it will now be run ostensibly by Azul, which is which is fantastic. And then on the heels of this, yesterday, or day before yesterday, United Airlines said that they are spending a hundred million bucks to acquire a five percent stake in Azul. In Azul, yeah. So they're now going to do a strategic partnership. So all of a sudden Azul has become an even bigger player than they already are. So they're now doing, they're going to start doing um, long haul A330 flights to the US to link up the, the substantial po- South American populations in, in the southern, southeastern US to, to South America. So these guys are pretty uh, an impressive outfit. No, they are. And, and uh, you know, in Brazil is a market that was shaken up in the airline industry. I mean, uh, you know, the uh, Varig, you remember if you were a kid, yeah. Varig was the, the, the national carrier. It actually folded a long time ago, I think 2008 already. And yeah. I've been flying in Brazilian domestic airlines, and it's clearly a market that is ripe for, for disruption. I mean, I don't like to use that term all the time, but it actually is. I mean, there's there's room. It's a, it's a growing market, although they have had some e-cups lately, but it's a growing market. Uh, there are big sports events coming up as well. So it's, you know... Smart. And if you think about, like, if they own the majority of a Portuguese airline that's flying long haul into Brazil, which is a Portuguese-speaking company, they've just acquired a huge amount of inbound traffic for their domestic and, and regional networks. So, really smart. I wonder if they're going to keep the TAP branding, or yeah, I would that's... imagine they would, but that'll be interesting to see. But, yeah, I have a lot of respect and admiration for David Nealman. He's a smart guy. Yeah, I do, too. I, w- I would add that they probably will because there have been some strikes last year. And I don't think they can just, like, stop the entire current operations. They're really keeping the operations. They're trying to uh, streamline the airline. But I'm sure that for at least for the time being, they cannot just go with the unions and say, oh, you know what, we're going to scrap everything we've had and change the airline and everything. So I think <laughs> yeah. for, for a lot. But it's smart. And it could even... If, if you think even further, it could even be could even become like a point of entry uh, to the entire uh, South American market because it, you know you land to Brazil and then you can you could continue south to Argentina or Peru yeah, or Uruguay and back north. So it could be something really smart. 
Uh, Absolutely. Back to Europe for a silly story, but I mean, I still wanted to mention it. So uh, Ryanair, uh, the low cost in in Europe, so has policies which most of the airlines have. Is that once you put your name on a booking ticket, you cannot change it. So you better not make a mistake because it's really hard. I don't know if you've ever had that issue. I've had it. Uh, when a travel agent, because my last name, Papa Dimitri, obviously is prone to for people to make mistakes with it. So I've had you know, to contact the travel agent. Guys, you have to change my name because it's not the right name. But here, right here, so some, some father <laughs> wrote the name of a, of, of a kid wrong. So the last, it, wrong because as a joke, the, the guy is called Adam Armstrong, is 19, but in, on his Facebook page, he wrote his last name West, Adam West, because of the 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 the, the actor who played Batman in the sixties. Yep. So he put Adam West on the ticket, and then obviously, you know, Ryanair would refuse him entry. So instead of paying the price that it would cost to change the name, which was which was I don't remember, like two hundred quid or something, the guy actually legally changed his name. I know, I love this. I mean, such a it's such a big middle finger. I mean, it's his own fault in a way, but. It's such a, and it was, and it ended up being cheaper and faster to legally change his name. It's crazy and to have the name changed on the ticket. Yes, yeah, so it was <laughs> so two hundred and twenty quid to change the name by Ryanair's per Ryanair's rule, and I think he got he changed his name by deed for free, and then uh, ordered a new passport, which ended up costing him like a hundred and three British pound. So basically, between one hundred and three to two twenty, he, he saved one hundred and seventeen pounds. This is Amazing. just insane. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, well, it's a stepfather, not his father. Obviously, his father would have known his real name, the stepfather, uh, because he was going with his girlfriend. That would be a funny story. Yeah, Um, lovely story. But now back to our favorite uh, aircraft, uh, the 747. So you have some good news. I do have some good news. At the Paris Air Show, uh, the Russian uh, cargo airline, uh, Airbridge Cargo, ordered 20 Count them, 20 7478 cargo planes worth $7.4 billion. And this is basically perfect timing because it shows some confidence in the platform. But also, there was real concern that Boeing didn't have enough orders on the books to even make it worth their while to keep the production line open. So this was a real shot in the arm to our beloved 747. Mm -hmm. Actually, Which, I was I was in Frankfurt uh, on a layover uh, this uh, last uh, last week, and when you land, it was a clear day. There was like so many seven four sevens. Of course, most of them are the still the four hundreds. I couldn't see the the one with the retro li- livery. They've done a seven oh, a four nice. seven eight. But I mean, it's still a, such a great aircraft to just look at. I mean, I love it. It's <laughs> it's such a great airplane, and I, and Boeing keeps slowing down production on the yeah. line. I think they cut it from one and a half planes a month to 1.3 and then they, and, they cut it again yeah now they're announcing uh they're announcing that they will cut it to one per month starting in march what's crazy is that even at one per month the seven four seven eight hundred is still profitable yeah which is. is which is pretty amazing so you know that's i think it's just adding a little bit more life to something <laughs> that we know is inevitably going to come to an end so yeah I just flew on a on a seven four seven four hundred, and I was quite nostalgic and thought I can't imagine a world where I think we're decades away from them not flying anymore. Literally of decades, of course. 
but it's not it's not going to be a nice feeling when they finally close that line no really not really not I mean, uh, but that's a glimmer of hope for us. I mean, I still haven't flown the Dash 8, but uh, let's hope that we'll do that. So we'll have to fly to fly. It's just basically uh, Lufthansa to the US to do that. Yeah. Uh, we'll, ha- we'll have to find an excuse, Alex. Um, <laughs> now, uh, back to uh, not really reality, but to Hollywood. And it was something that was bound to happen. The hero that saved Passenger on the Hudson. This is... Yeah, so you're right. This was an inevitability. So apparently... Tom Hanks and Clint Eastwood are teaming up to make a movie about the Miracle on the Hudson, which was the U.S. Airways flight that uh, had two simultaneous bird strikes, both engines shut down, and the the captain, Sally Sullenberger, somehow managed to land it basically perfectly on a river. And Clint Eastwood is is apparently going to direct it, and Tom Hanks is going to play Captain Captain Sully. So it'll be interesting to see. I want to know how they're going to sustain... Basically five minutes of activity for 90 minutes. But, you know, that's that's Clint Eastwood's specialty. So weird, weirdly, I was I saw this plane sitting on the water on the Hudson River. Oh, wow. I was I was in a hotel in the meatpacking district and Twitter just lit up saying a plane has crashed on the Hudson River. And I was like, I'm two blocks from the Hudson River. So I ran down and sure enough, there was this plane sitting on the water and all the passengers standing on the wing. It was the most surreal thing I've ever seen in my life. Oh, Absolutely wow. bizarre. So yeah, it must be. This will be if they do it right. This could be really, really interesting. Yeah, it could be. Honestly, I haven't seen a movie with uh, about flying for a long time. I mean, there was this thing with Denzel Washington. Den- yeah, whatever. flight, you, which is have you seen it? It's awful. Yeah, it's terrible. Okay, <laughs> so I won't see it. <laughs> no, I would. I wouldn't recommend it. But the, the problem with this type of movies is that. Usually, I watch a lot of movies when I'm flying, and those are heavily edited because obviously they don't want to induce fear of flying to the people yeah. watching the movie. So, the last time I remember I, I, I saw a movie, it was the World World War Z with uh, Brad Pitt, you know that zombie movie. Right. And there's a there's a scene there where there's a plane crash, and of course I could feel it because they're in a the plane, and suddenly the movie cuts out for like three minutes. I mean, clearly there's evident the entire crash out, and then the next scene comes up, and I'm like, hmm, I missed something here. So <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's weird. Yeah, it is. Anyway, uh, to our uh, second part of the show, the innovation uh, passenger experience part of the show. So first, uh, a little story is because you flew, uh, you mentioned four uh, legs uh, to go quickly to the US and back. Uh, so, And you flew like lucky bastard. You flew <laughs> BA first. That's, I don't know if that's being lucky bastard, but you flew in first class. I did. I flew BA first, um, which was quite an experience. I get like I said on a seven forty seven four hundred right in the nose, which was which was yeah. great, um, and it was great. I even though the plane I think I said to you was twenty one years old, it uh, it was in really good shape. I got to go in the Concorde room, which is the first class lounge at Terminal Five. Or actually, they have two first class lounges. They have the Concorde room, which is kind of like a it literally feels like a restaurant. You have really nice private booths, and the food was outstanding. And then they have a first-class lounge, which is more of a literal lounge, like lots of couches and self-service food, which is which is pretty good. Um, but the the first class on board was like they walk you to your seat. Uh, the suite is very well designed. There's actually 14, 12 or fourteen seats in the cabin, which is more than a cafe or a, a Emirates, I would imagine. But it was. The seat was really comfortable, obviously lie flat, really well done. The service was excellent. The food was amazing. The wine list was 
all the kind of vintage Grand Cru stuff. <laughs> they have a cool um, – I posted a video on, on Twitter on my, and Facebook, but you have at least two windows, if not three. And they have this really – instead of just the traditional blinds which you pull down, they have – a button that you press and this kind of concertinaed blind comes down with some really nice lighting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting, actually. It's a really because, cool effect. Because when, I, when I, I flew, I had the only times I flew first, again, and I said it a few weeks ago, uh, several times, luckily, was Emirates. And Emirates in the A380, they have also, you press a button, but these little shades, I don't know how you call them, Venetian, they are on in the Airbus A380 for Emirates. They're each window has a separate one whereas for you it was like this almost like it seems like there was another window on in front of the yes that's windows. right it, there was a window an internal window in front of the two or three windows on the outside of the airplane which really made it feel like you were in a room yeah yeah that's the it, feeling yeah wow. it, it and it was a really sensible kind of piece of industrial design because it made you feel like you weren't in an airplane as much because you had this sort of this solid window that must have been like two feet by four feet so that was that was really cool the ife was atrocious awful <laughs> really really bad and but i think they know that because it was an older airplane it was a nice big screen but really low resolution the content wasn't great the interface wasn't great but from what i understand on their newer dreamliners and a380s it's, yeah, the new one. it's, it's totally different okay. much much better yeah but, because that's the thing i mean most people uh, if you've never flown premium Actually, usually the not usually the the IFE is the same. You might have a bigger screen, but the IFE is the same as in coach. So it's not because you're flying premium that you have like more movies or a better experience. Usually, it's just a bigger screen. It's so just, if, yeah. So in that case, basically, you probably had a bigger a bigger screen than the guys be, behind you. But it's, if the IFE is old, just it's just old. There's no. Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, the plane. It was installed in 2010. But the, but the seat. Years. The seat looked. I mean, you sent me some pictures while you were boarding. Obviously, and the, the, yeah, of the, the, the seat looked pretty good. Actually, it, it like, was very good. The seat was incredibly comfortable. Very well laid out. Did you um, sleep? I did. I, yeah, I did. It was a nine-hour flight, so I wanted to get some shut eye because I had to. I had to connect on to Memphis from Miami. Uh, so yeah, it was. It was really good. The service was good. The the menus were. I kept it. The menus were absolutely beautiful and they had really nice um art deco iconography oh wow shout back to, almost to the imperial airways days nice. um, but yeah they, the experience is really good the service was really good the the bits and pieces that they they called it the what do they call it the tuck shop or pantry or something where there's food throughout the flight that they just leave up out for you it's really really good is that, so, is, yeah. is that a bar or is that a, a an area there's where you like go? a pedestal in the middle okay. of the cabin where the nose comes in and they wouldn't be able to fit another seat, seat. Yeah. that they just put fruit and chocolates and candy but i actually went back to the club world section theirs was actually better they had little mini candy bars and stuff. <laughs> you know what so I, actually you know what it's the same in emirates they have a bar in front uh, i mean a bar like an area when you can have like some juices and some things to eat but the best food is actually in business class so i always tend to go back yeah it was it was good but very solid. I mean, I can't imagine what the BA first experience like in an A380 or a Dreamliner. Wow. Yeah. To be on a 21-year-old plane and have that level of experience was really good. If, if it weren't for the IFE, it would have been absolutely spot on. So, 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 so yeah, that, it was good. So, so, so then you – because that was a funny story because – so then you had, to, uh, you had to do a layover. I mean, you had to do a connection, right? And the thing with the U.S. 
is like, which is for me completely insane. You're never sure. I mean, you fly first. Come on, right? You fly the highest class possible if you discount the residence from Etihad or something. You fly the highest class possible and you're not sure you can get access to the lounge where you connect. What is up with that? Well, this is, yeah, so Miami. God, that airport. (laughs) So you land and most major U.S. airports now have electronic immigration which is fantastic it's all kiosk based yeah it literally takes 30 seconds there's yeah i've experienced that in jfk yeah it's great yeah so good so good you just you get a little receipt at the end of it and you show it to somebody and it takes no time but then when you collect your bags you have to go through customs even if you have a connecting flight and i had about two and a half hours connection and i sent paul a message there must have been, without exaggeration, a thousand people in line to go through customs. It was a nightmare scenario. And a lot of people were going to miss their connections. I thought I was going to miss mine. And then they did such a poor job of directions that they, did, they didn't tell anybody that at the very, very far end of the baggage hall, which is very, very big, there was another set of customs gate. That took me 15 minutes to go through. (laughs) So there was like a thousand people, two and a half hour queue, and then maybe 200 people and (laughs) like 15 minutes to go through it. I was like, so bad. But yes, I was on a business class fare with some first class legs. It was some kind of airfare jiggery pokery that I did. But I was on first class tickets for three of my four flights. And I thought, great, I'm going to go to the American Airlines lounge because... I was ticketed on an American, go in and just chill out for a little bit before my next flight in a couple of hours. And I went up to the desk at the American Airlines uh, Admiral's Lounge, I think they're called. And they said, where are you flying to? I said, Memphis. And they said, oh, sorry, you can't come in. I said, I'm flying first. <laughs> yeah, domestic first can't come into the airline, come into the lounge. And I was like, are you kidding? kidding? Yeah, that's... A first class ticket, like, I can't come into the lounge? I said, I was tired and kind of grouchy after the whole customs thing. I said, look, I've just flown all the way from London. And the gal was like, oh, you flew in from London? I said, yes. Yeah. What class? I was like, and first, oh, come on in. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Uh, so it doesn't make any sense. And it's like, there's so many if, ands, and buts. And then the last, <laughs> she handed me two drink coupons. And I was like, okay, what the heck is this for? And you go into the lounge, which is fine, like, it's a bit tired and shabby. But then for the food and the drinks, you have to pay oh my God. for this our first is... class lounge. I don't I don't get it. I mean You have to pay. No wonder then people have like, oh of course I want to fly, you know, with premium airlines from you know of Singapore or, or the Middle East. I mean, come on. You're paying first class. Well, maybe okay, it was a client paying, but you you're flying first class. And they're making trouble for you to get into a lounge first, and then you make you pay for the food and drinks. What, yeah, what is up with it was, that? So, you, I mean, to be fair, they did give me two, two, um, two drink vouchers. But if you wanted anything more than like nibbles, you had to pay for it. But you know, I shouldn't complain. I, I, I'm yeah. only complaining in context of, of the other of course, no, um, of premium cabins I've experienced. But I have to say, I flew Miami, Memphis, Memphis, Philadelphia on. They were American Airlines flights and U.S. Airways flights, but they were both op- operated by Republic, okay. who were car- uh, one of the contract carriers. And it was, funnily enough, the same flight crew and same cabin crew, even though they were on separate separate days, uh-huh. both on E-175s, which I love that airplane. And the service 
and experience was really really good. Okay, cool. Okay, and then yeah. and then you flew back with US. I flew um, on U.S. Airways A330 from Philadelphia to Manchester in their Envoy, which is business class, which is how I got the business class fare for the whole trip. So first and of all, U.S. or U.S. is disappearing, sadly. U.S. Um, is disappearing. This was an American Airlines painted airplane, but obviously a U.S. Airways interior and crew. There was a lot of hints towards. The oh, US it was. Airways it was brand. already. It was already painted AA. Yes. Oh wow. Yeah. But not the yeah. inside. No, there was still wow. hints that right. it was. But I have to say, the the service, which was all kind of like middle aged men, every single one in the cabin. Um, yeah, that's just an observation uh, that I made. It was really – I never experienced anything like that. The service was excellent. They're very attentive but not overly attentive. The food was solid. The IFE looked average but didn't work on my flight. Oh, which damn. I didn't. Uh, yeah. It, well, actually, the GPS or moving map worked and the music worked. There, there was no videos loaded. I didn't care. It was a six-hour flight. I was yeah, going to yeah, sleep. Sleep anyway. I've done, I've, seat- done, I've done the Envoy product, but it's been like almost – three years ago i mean compared to i mean probably now the market has moved on it was a pretty solid product the yeah it was fine it was a lie flat cocoon seat very comfortable mm-hmm. like i said the food was good the service was good we were on time I, I have no complaints i thought it was great and i the the in-flight bag the, the amenity kit when you open it up they have artwork and um iconography from all of the old airlines that made up oh. American what American is now oh, wow. and so mine was was um Piedmont and so you open it up and it was like opening a Piedmont and Piedmont hasn't existed in decades but I thought that was a nice touch, touch. yeah wow that's um cool. so yeah I mean American Airlines I don't know I didn't really experience American yeah, Airlines obviously not, yeah. British Airways Republic and US Airways all of which were f- really fine very fine. Wow. See, great report. <laughs> yeah, but, sorry. No, but, no, 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 that was good. I mean, I, I mean, come on. It's a great story. I've never flown any. I mean, besides the Envoy, I've never flown. I almost never flown BA. I've never, obviously not in first class. So, well, um, I hope that some someday I'll be able to try it. Maybe in the A380. And again, we said that I think it was last episode. Bye bye US because it's slowly yeah, disappearing. Same. I love the logo. I love the iconography they were creating. The brand had something. It was not perfect. Uh, as a matter of product, obviously, but they had something. I mean, when you look at, you know, the, the, the botched job they do Continental United, the logo doesn't mean anything. And uh, you had this little U.S. flag, basically, obviously, because it's called U.S. But it was, I, I, I kind of liked it very much. So I did too, yeah. So it's a, it was very modern. Like, and Northwest was also kind of modern. It's a bit sad that the airlines that had a better, you know, brand in terms of iconography, in terms of fonts, are the ones that are being eaten up and they're replaced by something kind of, you know, United. All these logos are not really very... I'm talking about inspired. the big ones, right? Not inspired yeah. is the right term. So anyway, uh, me, very quickly, I've done several flights, but the one experience I want to quickly share is was I took a flight from Geneva to London, so, and I was my ticket clearly was uh, Swiss. And, you know, Geneva is not a hub, so it has... They have it's a hub for for EasyJet in Europe, but it's uh it's not a hub uh, for anything. It's an endpoint. You usually do not transfer anything. 
So usually, you know, you have your flight and it's uh, uneventful. And for some strange reasons, I was in an Austrian flight. <laughs> I was like, what? what is going on here? Why do you have an Austrian flight in Geneva? And actually, they have, they're doing, starting doing some wet lease now. Uh, so it's wet lease, for those who don't, get, who don't know the term, is basically when you fly into an aircraft that still has a library from the originator, uh, original um, airline, has the crew and everything. So the crew was in all red. I hate that uniform, but they like completely red. <laughs> they spoke German, obviously. The plane, interesting though, was not Australian. It was saying Australian in, in, in small, but it was a big, fat Star Alliance. So clearly it probably was made, it looked brand new. It was a Dash 8, um, the Embraer Dash 8, not the 747 Dash 8. <laughs> and the one thing I wanted to say is that besides it was a bit of a strange experience and I, I, I learned about it that now Swiss is actually having four, like those four Dash 8s to uh, wet these, but they are usually done for uh, places like Lugano. It's a very short or, or short haul flight, not for London, but, but we were only like, 20 passengers it made actually sense not oh, wow. to fly an airbus to back to london you know normally on, a, on an ember dash 8 you've, you've explained that alex you cannot bring your carry-on in because the overheads are too small too so you small. have to you give it out just at the, at the entry of the aircraft and you take it back but actually since it was empty they allowed us to basically put the carry-ons on the seats <laughs> so that oh, was pretty, nice. yeah. but the, the thing i really wanted to mention very small quirk you know, I've, and I've said in the past that I'm not a huge fan of proper airplanes, uh, uh, aircraft. And this one, it says on the little uh, thing you get for the safety thing in front of you, uh, it says uh, Dash 8, uh, Embraer 4 Dash Dash 8, the quiet one. And I want to understand how quiet it can be. There's a proper airplane. You can, yeah. If you don't have any noise-canceling headphones, you do. Anyway. Uh, moving on. Uh, That's so funny. I love flying on propeller airplanes. <laughs> well, yes, but you know they add up. Like instead of taking like the actual t- flight time from London to Geneva, I mean the opposite is usually an hour and hour and ten minutes, uh, depending on the tailwinds. Uh, this one took an hour and forty. Uh, this is the kind oh, of thing. Yeah. It's not That's... a big deal, right? Obviously, but this is something. And it seems also. I don't know if maybe it's an like impression that he's, he, you going you you. Uh, the time to reach cruising altitude takes forever. Uh, an Airbus, you like at some point, you know, they like, oh, now you know you can release your seat belts and stuff. And this is kind of seems usually ten to fifteen minutes or something. And this one seems like for the first hour we're still climbing. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you've got some mountains to contend with too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously. <laughs> okay, back to the news. I'll tell another story about my past flights in a few. But back to the news. You felt that I found that fascinating because I like. Why did I never think about that? So this is such a smart idea. And you're right. I had the same reaction. I can't believe I had no one else is doing this. But Etihad have created a um, private, a protected Twitter channel exclusively for their premium customers. So, you you know, on Twitter, you you can you can lock your account. So only people that you handpick to see it are able to see it. So they've created something called uh, Etihad Premium. And it's only available to their gold and platinum members of their loyalty program. And you can only get access once you have been individually verified by Etihad. And then they they use it as a channel to push uh, specifically tailored events and news and offers just to those kind of quote-unquote elite passengers. Such a good idea. I yeah. cannot believe no simple. one else is doing this. It's very so simple. simple. I mean, it's one of the things... 
it makes the whole convoluted approach of sending emails and communication and stuff so simple. I mean, it's... It really is smart and it gives you that sense of exclusivity and, and quote unquote access. So really smart idea. Yeah. Now I kind of want to see what they get. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm sure maybe that that has been created, maybe some other airlines will think about it because it's really, really, really an easy way to actually be in touch with your premium passengers. Uh, Celine, um, just a quick mention because I found that funny. So during the Paris air show, um, uh, Qatar had a uh, Qatar was of these. Obviously, if you've ever been to these air shows, you have like massive billboards with publicity, obviously about airlines. And you had so Qatar made this huge, uh, huge ad, which clearly was uh, uh, touted touting the uh, the uh, the quality of air travel on the Dreamliner. Only that the picture was clearly the A three eighteen. Ah, that's a little embarrassing, isn't it? <laughs> anyway. And it's like the worst audience to make that kind of mistake to as well, because ordinarily, if it was on a billboard by the freeway, no one would even notice. No, but notice, if you're putting yeah. it in front of in front of a bunch of airline people, they're gonna instantly know that. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, it was fun. Uh, now, a story that I found pretty interesting and I want to have your take. It was a TechCrunch. Uh, this is a company, almost a startup. It's called OneGo. So basically, it promises you to uh, you buy a monthly fee of $1,500 and you can fly, fly as much as you want. But unlike some of those, the other uh, types of startups we've been talking in the past, you fly on uh, Delta, American, uh, United, and Virgin America. And you, on top, you have... Uh, perks like a Wi-Fi membership, uh, TSA Prey, which is basically your pre-screen for security screening. Which I use, and it's a godsend. So, uh, I mean, there are some constraints. You cannot just, you have to book your flight seven days in advance. You cannot have four more than four re- reservations at a time. Uh, you have also, you can pay, of course, some extra stuff. And it also, for the, it will open in the fall or the autumn, and it will be limited to the West Coast of the United States at first. But what do you think about... It's, it's only the, because the flat fee of all that you can fly has already been tried. We've mentioned some companies, but this one gives you access to basically traditional airliners. So what do you think about it? Yeah, it's interesting. It's a delicate business model, I think. It is. I agree. But if you think about you – know, well, here's what I, I don't understand. Usually, as you get closer to the day of departure, not always, but usually prices rise – and especially with when you are day of departure, the fees are and prices are astronomical. Capping it at seven days puts you in that higher price bracket. So you may be only able to need three or four flights in you mm-hmm. a month, and it's paid for it, paid for itself. I can imagine if you know you're going to be flying a lot just because of your job or whatever, this could actually work out really, really well. Yeah, but like as you said, I, as a con- consumer. I would really love that because, again, you don't have to think too much and you go to a single system point of entry and say, I want to fly from here to there and that's done. And it's already taken care of. Now, in terms of the company itself, the, the economics behind it must be kind of a very delicate balance because you're still dependent on other pricing. Maybe they have agreement, but still you're dependent on markets that are forces that are not yours. So, well, we'll see. Um, I, I wish them good luck. Yeah, I, I do too. And I think... In a lot of the comments, this was in a TechCrunch article, a couple of them I picked out were excited but skeptical, I think is probably the best way to put it because there was just so many yeah buts and what about this and what about that and they hadn't quite thought them all through yet. So it'll be interesting to see. 
No, absolutely. Uh, so one or the other startups we'll be following because we talked about Rise. We talked about, I don't remember the name. Surfair. Surfair, thank you. So, But these were like, the difference is like, oh, now you can go on Delta, basically. That's fine. It's very, yeah. very different value proposition. Again, it will be limited to the West Coast, which also can is bizarre because you think this is the kind of thing I would also like to use for, uh, you know, to go coast to coast and not stay maybe between LA and SF. So uh, yeah, we'll see if it ever expands to something more than just basically uh, going to the very short routes of the West. We'll see. Anyway, good luck. Good luck for them. Yeah. Uh, uh, I was in Poland. Uh, I didn't, and I didn't see the disruption you were you're about to mention, but that was quite uh, staggering, actually. Yes, Poland's uh, flag carrier lot. They had to cancel quite a few flights uh, on a day. I think it was last Sunday. Yes, yeah, so they are landed. This is why you sent me that, and I was landing, and and but I was flying Lufthansa, and I was like, what the ah. hell is going on? I still I saw there was a lot of passengers, but I didn't realize there was that. Yeah, so, they, go on, go on. There were a lot of flights canceled because they were hacked, which is amazing. Um, and it's so they apparently they quote unquote temporarily paralyzed lots computers, which probably means they hit the reservation system That's or the, the uh, operations system. So, <laughs> fourteen hundred people they were flying uh, to short haul. Actually, Hamburg, Düsseldorf, Copenhagen, and within within Poland, their flights were canceled. And I guess they solved the problem that same day. But I think either that day or the day after, uh, Lot was going to make a huge announcement about their future, mm-hmm. which they ended up doing, saying that they had plans to double the size of the airline in the next few years. And I can imagine that that was some pretty stressful times at the in the IT department of, of Lot, knowing that this massive <laughs> announcement was impending. But um, yeah, that can't have been a whole lot of fun. No, you shouldn't have been better. Again, it's in line with what we said. I mean, we the the definition of what hack means is always kind of yeah. very. We don't know. Maybe there's some internal devs did a fuck up, or maybe uh, some uh, it was something the, the the password was too easy to figure out. We don't know what hack means here. It seems to be Not located in this context, yeah, no. only for the computers at Warsaw Champagne Airport. So I don't know, but still, you know, it's, it's something they have to figure out. And a lot of airlines are will have this kind of. Uh, potential attacks directed to them, I think, in the future, sadly so, yep. but I think it's something. Uh, talking about security, uh, very quickly, I was uh, so transiting to uh, to Warsaw via Frankfurt and yet another time, which, you know, they, I love how they call themselves the hub experts, but when you have to transit between non-Schengen and Schengen, so basically between, uh, yeah, you have to walk like three, three, three floors down, well, under the entire airport, come three floors up. I mean, this is not really a hub. You have to you really fast. But the point is not this because I kind of like otherwise Frankfurt Airport. It's not really a, it's it's a good airport airport. But security is always staggering. So I don't know if I if, if I had mentioned the story when I was flying from uh, Frankfurt to Dubai a few weeks ago. Uh, they said, oh, you know the usual stuff. Do you have a laptop and some electronics? I said, yeah, of course. So I put out my laptop and my and my iPad and. Uh, they said, do you have other electronics? And I said, yeah, I have a camera. I said, can you pull the camera out? I said, okay, put the camera out. And basically my bag, probably like you, Alex, is filled with, you know, electronics, basically cables and yeah. batteries and stuff. They actually ended up, so you, you went through the x-ray uh, belt and then they said, oh, no, we have to open it. So like, okay. And they took every single piece of cable out and they oh put the, every single piece of cable and they said, you should have told us you had all these electronics. I'm like, okay. So basically they consider, and I, it was for a long haul flight, they consider that, 
at that point in security, I don't know if it's applied for the entire airport, they consider that every single, even like a USB cable is an electronic that you have to pull out. So I was wow. like, basically I had to empty my bag. And this time though, uh, same thing happens. I'm also having to go through like, uh, to go through security because I'm transferring from uh, Schengen to non-Schengen zone. And uh, the opposite, sorry. And uh, I had with me, and that's my bad because it was completely stupid for me. I had one of these lighters, but you know, the, the flamethrower throw lighters, you know, the ones that basically have this sort of a single uh, light that comes out, uh, flame. The flame is like yeah. a flamethrower. It's just, it's, so I go through security. They said, you have this, like, oh, yeah, I'm so sorry. So, and I, I'm like, okay, can, I'm sorry. Can you just discard it? And they look at me and say, no, we can't discard it. I'm like, you have to go back. And I'm like, what do you mean I have to go back? So you have to go back. So I'm like, okay, so I have to go back and I can discard it and I, res and I rescan. No, no, no. You have to bring it to your airline. And I look at a security person and she was ashamed. That, and I'm like, what do you mean I have to bring it back to the airline? She said, who do you flew from? Uh, flew with? I'm like, I flew with Lufthansa. Okay, so you have to bring it to Lufthansa. I'm like, what are you talking about? I mean, first of all, it was allowed because it was in the same bag at Ethro, so it's maybe not even the airline's fault. It's like Ethro maybe actually allowed me to go through with it. I mean, first of, first and foremost, it was my fault to having it, obviously. But and then so she was refusing to let me go. So basically, what I did, I took it. Okay, whatever. I'll bring it to the airline. I took it back. So I went back to the security point. The only thing that I did is I have the first trash bin. I trashed it, and I went to another <laughs> another security point. And there you go. So it was meaning Frankfurt is can be a bit. They have very stringent rules about security. That's you have to weird. be careful because. I don't know what they can. Maybe probably if anyone has uh, any experience, they wants to tell us why they cannot discard themselves. Yeah, uh, I'd like to know that. Or, too. Or, it seems really inconsistent as well. Uh, and I told them if you don't want to discard it physically, I can go there to supervision and put it in a trash bin somewhere. And say no, like I don't know. So maybe they have a. There must be a rule somewhere, but it, it so doesn't say so so much sense. Another thing I saw in London, I was invited to Founders Forum, which is uh, invite only tech event. They have, we had uh, Eric Schmidt, Reid Hoffman, which is, who is the founder of LinkedIn and other people show, show there. And uh, a lot of stuff happened, uh, totally not relevant to the airline industry. But one thing that I saw was the Aeromobile. So it's uh, it was on display. So basically, it's a car and a, and a, and a plane in the same thing. I'll send you the picture. <laughs> I don't know what you think about it. Yeah. It's uh, okay. It's okay. It's not a production. It's still prototypes. They're releasing a new prototype soon. So imagine uh, this hybrid between a kind of small car, not small because it's quite long, because of the early, the the wings uh, basically uh, kind of retract within the car. So if you that makes a very long car, uh, and it's very bizarre because you have both. The wheel and both a stick at the same time. I couldn't see any pedals, so I was kind of figuring how do you do rudder with you know it's. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, it, it was funny. I don't know if you went to the website or if you've been to the yeah, website. Yeah, I did. Website. What do you think about that? It's. I just don't see the use case. Like, who is going to use this? That's I don't the know. Only thing I, I don't get, and they still haven't figured. I don't think there's um, a big market. Come on, you have to have your licensing pilot. You have to have the pilot license. Sorry. And you have to have obviously your driver's license. And then you have to have the authorities to accept that because it's one thing to say, oh, I can just only fly. It's like, where do you take off from? And do, of course, this, this has to be uh, licensed in, in um, you know, cert sorry, certified in countries. I think it's only certified. So it's, it, originally it's from the Czech Republic. That's where they're building it. They, they told me because uh, some of the, the founders were there. They told me that they have access to a lot of the, uh, so a lot of the Airbus provider 
are located around that region. So they have access to a very good quality of the airline industry. But at the same time, I was like, yeah, but who's going to have that? Yeah, I, that's, I, that's like the fundamental question I have. Who is going to buy this? And there's no pricing, nothing. But anyway, it was fun. Uh, I, I wish cool that you I, got to see it in person. Yeah, I, should, I wish I could have tried it because there are videos that they've actually made it, made it fly. So it actually flies. It's not just a concept that they say one day will fly. So I don't know. I don't know. If, but I'll put the link. If anyone, I'm, if anyone wants to has more information, uh, not about the product, but thinks that there is actually a market, just hit us on, hit us on Twitter or Facebook. Yeah, I, I don't see hear. it. <laughs> In that discussion with with uh, one of the founders, I think it was the CEO of the company of that aeromobile, he was like ranting about you know how the future of planes would be uh, pilotless, and I was like, yeah, well, I'm not sure about that. But I've read a piece of news on CNN that says that there's a, a an experimental an experimental airplane called the Centaur, uh, which was actually flight tested this month and uh, by the FAA in, uh, near New York, and actually it is a pilotless aircraft. Have you seen that? Wow, yeah, that's so, very cool. Yeah, that's very cool. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It, obviously, I don't think it will lead to having an A380 being pilotless uh, because there's a lot of other things going on. But they are already testing it. And, you know, why, why not? You know, at the end of the day, I don't know if it, commercial aircrafts will ever have a pilot-less ability, but it's cool that they're testing it out. So, I don't know. Maybe... Yeah, they had it kind of like rigged up like to actually move the controls. It wasn't built as a specific you know drone like it was this can show that a plane an existing plane can fly autonomously yeah exactly yeah i don't know i, I mean do you would you would you ever be a passenger nope. in an aircraft nope 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 nope, nope. <laughs> okay so we're moving on uh back to you just said the word drone uh, uh, put the video on pretty cool uh, so EasyJet so the low cost the other low cost in Europe with uh, major low cost in Europe with Ryanair you know before uh, any uh, departure one of the pilots has to go and do a walk around and instead of doing the walk around they said okay let's do it with a drone to do the walk around so the dr- there's a drone with a camera that goes around the plane it looks up and it can be also used for maintenance and I don't know why not yeah good idea I think it will give the pilots access to viewpoints they couldn't get from the ground. And I think they're going to put um, thermal imaging cameras on it as well so they can look for any issues with the airplane that aren't immediately obvious to the to the naked eye. So it makes a lot of sense. And EasyJet are absolutely convinced by this that it's going to save them time and money. And money, yeah. So uh, so next time... Very cool, if very you... cool idea. If you if you if you if you're in an airport and you see a drone circling your EasyJet flight, don't 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 be creeped out. It's just a maintenance <laughs> because I'm sure yeah. I'm sure we'll have like pictures on Facebook and Twitter. People are like, wow, there's a drone around my aircraft. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. uh, finally, a very cool video that you sent me uh, for the for the Dreamliner. Can you just the, describe it? I don't know if it's describable in words, but the Dreamliner, the seven eight seven nine. Uh, was put on an amazing display at the Paris Air Show where they obviously it was pretty much empty. I don't even know if it had seats in it, but they did the most unbelievable display of what this airplane is aerodynamically capable of. And it's it's really staggering to watch the performance. And it was a it was a Vietnam Vietnam Airlines 787. And 
the first thing it does is just take off like a rocket, like almost <laughs> yeah. vertical climb out of the, off the runway. And then they're just throwing this thing around the sky. And it just, it's, I mean, such a graceful airplane anyway, but watching it like bank and, and, and roll is, is really very inspiring yeah, it to is. watch. It is. So we'll put, we'll put the video. Uh, probably if, if you like airlines, you've already, uh, aircraft, you've already seen it because he did the round for like two weeks, but it's really, it's really impressive. It's really, really well is. filmed. Uh, not a reading app of the week, but very quickly, because Alex and me have been talking about that one and I've been using it for fun. Uh, so if you, we mentioned, obviously, there's a lot of apps and uh, websites to track your history, your past flights. There's one called Jet Lovers, jetlovers.com. You connect with either Foursquare, uh, Twitter, or Facebook. You can have the three at the same time, obviously. And uh, it creates like this profile of you, all of your flights uh, that it can grab for all these sources. There's no connection with uh, TripIt though. And it's, it's, it's fun. I mean, there's no uh, intent besides putting fun. Yeah, there's a little bit of a competition because it will look up your friends and give you badges and say, okay, you're an astronaut and you are an A380 <laughs> and you are Soyuz because you have made more, you have accrued more and more miles. So it creates a very, it's funny, the thing that I, really, that I really like, because that was the reason I wanted to mention here, uh, besides uh, you having fun and testing it out, uh, is that it automatically grabs uh, those, uh, those flights. And I think this is something that uh, other websites, including OpenFlight that we had at the app of the week, could use as some, as, uh, because you still, the manual input, input, maybe for someone like Alex, because he has a whole Excel spreadsheet probably with all these flights, <laughs> is something that works. But it's nice to have these kind of automated ways of, of doing it. Yeah, so, it's clever. I played with it for the first time last night, and you connect Foursquare, Facebook, and Twitter, and it, it kind of figures out where you were based on check-ins and, and everything like that. Um, it got a few of mine wrong, but it's very yeah. easy to correct them. Uh, I I use Open Flights as as you mentioned earlier because it does connect with TripIt, and correct, I use correct. TripIt for everything. So I just say go and look at where I've been on TripIt, and that does it. So I think if Jet Lovers do a TripIt integration, then it comes. Yeah, very, I, I, very I'm not sure. I, I, I there's no word about who founded it. Probably the, for what I learned, it's uh, some guys or maybe some guy even like uh, in Russia. But there's no about of the company, so I don't know where it com comes from. There's an iPhone app apparently coming up, but I don't know. It's been said that it was coming up forever, so maybe it will never. It's fun. It's not something, again, don't take it as something that you will, you know, even open flight is more, you can do more with it than this one. But this is kind of a little, it's kind of witty. The way, the way it's done is pretty fun. Um, it's it's it, definitely prettier than Yes, it is pretty. It, well. it creates a few like false positive because you said, uh, so for instance, for me, it created like, uh, I think uh, Gare du Nord, which is the one of the railway station in France, created as a airport. It was like because I took the Eurostar from here. Uh. <laughs> so because again, it takes it takes you know, the two four square check ins and it said, okay, you've done this travel, so you've probably been flying. No, I've taken the train. We still added. <laughs> so, or uh, it creates a false positive if your friend of yours checks you in somewhere else. Uh, Ken Brady checked me in during South by Southwest this year in Austin. I was not there. I just did that on Foursquare for fun. But obviously that absolutely said, oh, you flew to yeah. Austin while I was flying in another place at the same time. But if you don't, but again, I don't take it too seriously. So if it's okay, makes, if, if, if it does a little bit of mistakes, it's, it's a bit fun. Yeah. The thing though that I, I complain, complain is a big word about TripIt is that I cannot add 
uh, very uh, uh, flights from my past that were before I think 2010 or something because it doesn't have a database anymore. So if I say, I can say I've been to one place or another, but it won't actually allow me to look up for that flight. So it's a bit, this is why I was playing with uh, Jet Lovers because I wanted to find a way to have all my flights. Ah, uh, but anyway, I see. no big deal. It's fun. Just try it out, guys. It's a yeah. fun little app. So now on to Memphis. Um, so Memphis, um, I've never flown there. You've flown, so you, you'll have. But the one thing that staggers me is that if you, if you go to Wikipedia or Google Earth, you'll see the size of the airport. And the first thing comes to my mind, like, wow, this is a huge airport. And then I look at the numbers of passengers a year, and it's like 3.5 million. Like, what's up with that? Yeah. It's a strange little airport. It's not little, but it's... I... How do I... Okay, so the best way to give you a sense of its scale with compared to other airports is I landed at Terminal A and got a message that the person who was meeting me was in Terminal B. I'm like, oh, man, how the hell am I going to get... It's like 11.30 at night. How am I going to get from Terminal A to Terminal B? And I asked the security guard, and he's like, it's 20 feet that way. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, you walk through this door, and you go from Terminal A to Terminal B. It's it's a tiny airport in terms of passengers. I mean, they've they've bolted on some piers for onto the original terminal from the from the 60s. Um, I think it was in 1963 yeah. to make it a, a little bit longer and accommodate fewer planes. But you're right in terms of passenger movements, it's it's small fries. It's small fries, but but it is the second busiest air cargo terminal in the entire world, second only to Hong Kong, and it just lost that crown last year. But sadly, the traffic for passengers has been dropping precipitously year over year. Um, it was down twenty one percent last year, thirty percent the year before, twenty two percent. I think like, it, to give you an example, in two thousand, eleven million passengers a year. Last year, three point five. I think it's also because I think Delta kind of gave up on it, right? Delta pulled out as a hub, but so it, it is a typical Midwest airport from a passenger perspective. It was fine; it had what you needed, no complaints here or there. But FedEx's home base, global headquarters, is at Memphis, and I sat uh, waiting for my flight, looking out the window, and without exaggeration, a FedEx heavy was taking off or landing every 45 seconds wow it was constant yeah there's four four runways so it's a really big four runways now. and fedex don't forget fedex have 675 airplanes and wow. when you take off out of fedex on if you're taking off i guess it would be to the west you on the right hand side of the airplane you look down on the fedex ramp and it just goes on and on and on and on with DC-10s, A300s, A310s, 757s, 767s, uh, MD-11s, and then all the way down to like Cessna Grand Caravans. Wow. I think they've re retired all of their 727s, but it is just amazing to watch. It's I took a time lapse of it, and it's just like, you know, white plane, white plane, white plane, white plane, taxiing or landing or taking off. Just really impressive to see how they have it done oh so i i would gather that it's not really a good airport for layovers though right <laughs> uh it not really was there, i don't think it would be too bad was it was there a business lounge 
I don't know. I wasn't there for long enough okay. for your time. I had to sprint. Well, again, I, I guess, I mean, if, if it was an airport that catered for like 10, 10 million plus passengers, I guess there is. Uh, but you, you should, did, you, did you have the feeling that it was empty or like it felt like too big for the number of passengers or not even? No, I think it was okay. just the right size for the amount of passengers. I think it was a lot of people are putting, I think they're going to see those numbers ticking up. I think okay. uh, Southwest and Allegiant are putting a few more passenger uh, airlines here. American are redoing their terminal at the moment. Oh, okay. So there's investment. But, yeah. And they've actually upgaged it. It was apparently a smaller regional jet to Miami and to Philadelphia, but now it's any 175. So I think it, it ought to. It ought to tick up, but it's nothing compared to what FedEx do. FedEx keeps that airport alive. Yeah, obviously, uh, that's one of their that's their hub in a way. So obviously, they Big do. Time. Uh, um, and it was not indirectly because it's a song I love. I don't know if you remember the song from uh, Mark Kahn called "Walking in Memphis." Yes, uh, back in 1990, probably. And the song opens up with uh, "Put on my blue suede shoes and I boarded the plane, touched down the land of the Delta Blues." So basically, that's probably the airport he was talking about. Yeah, <laughs> and I have to say, Memphis is a lovely city. Really nice people. I had the most life-changing barbecue I've ever had in my no way. existence. Oh, Tell me. That was, that was my... I was on the ground in Memphis. I landed at 11.30 at night, and I had to leave at 2 o'clock the next day. So I was there for no amount of time. But I said to to the team I was working with there, I will I will do whatever you want. I will be wherever you need to be, me to be, wherever you, and when you need me. I just cannot come to Memphis and not have barbecue. That's a sin. So at like 10.30 in the morning, I walked down downtown Memphis and I found Central Barbecue and I had the most amazing ribs I've ever had in my life. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm going to go back to Memphis because it was beautiful, but I, I felt like I, I did what I needed to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you took some on your flight home then. Yeah, that uh, would have been a better, better idea. <laughs> Well, on that thought, uh, I'll see you next week. I don't know which airport yet, but maybe with uh, other type of ribs or barbecue. Yeah, with food, food, food. <laughs> Always. <laughs> we should actually do a segment about food in planes. As Best well. airline food. Okay, yeah, we done. should absolutely do that. <laughs> <laughs> on that, bye, Alex. See you next bye, week. Bye. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Happy flying. On behalf of layovers and the entire crew, we would like to thank you for joining us on this podcast today. And we're looking forward to seeing you on board again next week. Flight attendants, please prepare for landing.